Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Um, it is so good to have everybody here. And if you're here today and somebody invited you, then that means that somebody in your life cares about you. Because Christians always bring the people that they care most about with them to church. And so if you've been invited, then you are loved not only by God, but by someone else. As we think about today, uh, this is a most amazing day. And uh, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus, which impacts every part of life. It is the greatest act of love. Um, the, the life of Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross. I want to show you 1 John 4.10. It says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation, it means satisfaction. It means that when Jesus died, that took care of our sin before God. You know, you'll notice that the cross behind me is empty. It is incredibly wonderful and indispensable that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But without the resurrection, the death of Christ would be meaningless. And my prayer for every one of us this morning is that we would be fully blessed by the resurrection of Jesus. And that happens at the moment of salvation. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we are spiritually made alive, when we become God's children, that's when it starts. But the truth is that believers, people who know Christ, we live every day in light of the resurrection. You know, Jesus said this in John 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. So last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. An incredible miracle. A friend of Jesus who died, who was in the tomb for four days. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And there were many people that were there that saw it and believed in Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead. But there were people there who saw it and hated Jesus because of it. In fact, that fuels the crucifixion of Jesus. The religious leaders say, man, he has done such an amazing miracle that no one can deny and everybody's going to follow him. So we need to kill him. And it's amazing how as Satan tries to destroy life, and this is true for every person, Satan always promises life and delivers death. And so if you don't know the Lord, every good thing in your life will actually turn out for destruction. But if you're a Christian, even the bad things that happen in life, God uses for good. And the, what happens with Jesus is the perfect example of that. People, religious leaders who hate him, who try to kill him, in their hearts they just have hatred and it's fueled by, sat by Satan himself. And their hate for Jesus and their murder of Jesus turns out to be the most significant event in history is why you can be saved. And it's just like you think about that. That is an expression of life. Jesus came to give life. Satan came to destroy. 
And Good Friday, why would we call Good Friday good? The, the, the day that, that human beings that God created to worship him actually kill Jesus, God's expression of love. Why would we call that Good Friday? Because that's what God used to save people. Now, when we think about the resurrection, there are many people who believe that we can believe whatever we want, that we can have our own truth, and, and whether or not the things we believe are true don't really matter. There's, there's, you've heard of Pascal's wager, and he just says, even if Christianity's not true, you have so much to lose if you don't believe it. And if you do believe it and it's not true, still you'll live a better life. You still have wisdom and fellowship and all the good things that come from Christianity. And what have you lost? But it's interesting because that's actually not the message of the Bible. The Bible's message is that it's only good and it's only important if it's true. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Paul goes on and he says, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then look what he says here. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ is has been raised from the dead. What it comes down to is that the resurrection of Jesus is real. There's three things I want to focus on this morning. The first is that the resurrection really happened. That is a historical event, and it is true. The resurrection of Jesus, secondly, is a life-changing event. And here's the other thing about the resurrection is that it will have immediate results in your life. How you respond to the resurrection affects you today, but not just today. How you respond to the resurrection will impact you for all eternity. These are things that we're going to look at. Let's, I hope that you were paying attention when, and I know you were when Val was reading Matthew chapter 28, verse one through 10. I want to just make a few observations about that passage that she read. Did you notice that when Jesus rises from the dead, the first people to see it are the women who followed Jesus in his ministry? It wasn't the disciples. That actually turns out to be pretty significant that it wasn't the disciples. It's these women that followed Jesus. The first people to announce the resurrection are these women. And the angel shows up. The angel rolls back the stone And he didn't roll back the stone so that Jesus could get out. He rolled back the stone so that the women and the disciples could get in, so that they could see the place where Jesus was laid. 
This is a picture of a tomb from the time of Jesus. It's a similar kind of a picture of a tomb with a rock. And here's the crazy thing about Scripture is that when Scripture talks about things, when the Bible talks about things from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's always physical realities. They talk about people, names, places, locations, how far it would, how long it would take to walk from here to there. There are all kinds of references. And the amazing thing about the Bible is that it is confirmed true over and over and over. This right here is what they would suspect is the tomb of Jesus. It's in an area where Jesus was potentially crucified. And uh, this, this tomb is where Jesus was buried. This is what it might look like looking out of a tomb. And so as we think about this, The guards, when the angels show up and they roll this tomb away, these guards that were stationed by the tomb, they pass out in fear. And Jesus tells these women, go tell my disciples. And on their way, do you know what happened? They didn't just pass on a message from the angels. On their way leaving the tomb, Jesus shows up. They see Jesus personally, and they respond by bowing down and worshiping him. By the way, when we meet Jesus, the only appropriate response is worship. As you read through scripture, people who followed Jesus, they worshiped him. And so these ladies, they do, they go pass on this amazing story. They pass on what they heard from the angels, but they pass on what they saw with their own eyes. And when you think about the reality of the resurrection, the resurrection is true because it happened. And it is recorded in four gospels with four witnesses. It is, it is recorded. The apostle Paul talks about the resurrection. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so those four witnesses, four separate people, writing from their own perspective. And when you read scripture, when you read the gospels, it has the mark of truth. Um, It's not four people just parroting the exact same story. If you were to go into a court of law and you had four witnesses that all said the exact same thing, you would say, ah, I don't know if I believe them. No four people are going to witness an event and describe it exactly the same. If they're parroting the same words, they probably got together and made up a story. See, often people will read the Gospels and they'll say, how come the accounts are different? Why are there things that are kind of hard to put together? It's because you have four people um, speaking from their own perspective. That is not a mark of untruth. That is a mark of truth. And when you put these stories together, what you find out is they all tell the same story. And in fact, there are some things that are kind of hard to fit together. That's not what you would include in a fabricated story. Those challenges, those difficulties are a demonstration of truth. You know, it is no surprise that the most important book ever written uh, would record this. Did you know that the Bible was the first book ever printed? Did you know that the Guinness Book of World Records says that the Bible is the most popular book in all of history. Probably 70 to 80 um, uh, million copies a year. By the way, the the most uh, printed book, the most popular book in 2021 
was 1.3 million copies. Bible, 80 million copies. We're not surprised by that. It's the most censored book in history. There's no other book that more people have died trying to get it into the hands of, the other, of other people. Satan has tried to crush and destroy and hide this truth from people. Fulfilled prophecy. The Bible has said many things over many uh, years and years predicting the future. They have taken place. When you think about the archaeological verification of the Bible, it is significant. The, the Hittites, this huge group of people that for years people said they didn't exist. The Bible talks about them, but where are they? Well, in the late 1800s, they found that civilization. When they, as the more um, dis- archaeological discoveries, the more information happens, the more you find that what the Bible says is true. And we don't believe the Bible because of those archaeological discoveries, but those archaeological discoveries verify the Bible. Thousands and thousands of years ago, um, kings that were mentioned in the Bible, they'll find a stone that'll tell us a, different, a similar story, tell about a battle recorded in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, as he's traveling, mentions the treasurer of a city. And then years later, like in the last hundred or so years, we actually find outside evidence demonstrating that actually that was the name of the treasurer of that city. The Bible has been verified over and over. And it's no surprise that it would be proven to be accurate. It's inspired by God. It was written by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write truth. This resurrection story is also verified by people who didn't believe in Jesus. There's a historian named Josephus. And just want to show you something he wrote. Now, Josephus was not a follower of Christ. He was a Jewish historian that lived during that period of time. And this is what Josephus says. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. Now he's going to talk about these disciples after the resurrection because initially they were crushed. We'll, We'll read that. They did go back to fishing. And then it says, he says that that they didn't forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. You know, if the resurrection wasn't real, Christianity would have died with the death of Jesus. There were many people who came claiming to be Messiah, and people would follow them, and then they would be killed, and nothing came of them. But for Jesus, he rose from the dead. Jesus appeared to individuals and groups. And there's something else. The body of Jesus was never found, and that's because Jesus rose 
from the dead. There have been many alternate stories about what happened. The disciples stole the body of Jesus. When you read the Gospels and you read what happened, that is not possible. They were so afraid. They were running. They were hiding. They were devastated. They didn't believe. Their dreams had been crushed. It wasn't the disciples who went and found Jesus' body and came up with some story about how Jesus had been risen from the dead. Somebody had to go tell them. And it was the women going to take care of his body. We'll consider more about that. There's other theories that Jesus wasn't really dead. And uh, that's just an amazingly unbelievable suggestion. What's crazy is many books have been written about that. And they've been written for a long time. In fact, there was a book written in 2001, 2007, and as as recently as 2019, another book trying to say that Jesus didn't die. And that his, as he was taken off the cross and laid in the tomb, that uh, the, the cool air, the damp air, and the spices that were laid around him revived him. Well, if you were here on Friday when we read the account of what happened to Jesus, that is not possible. The Romans were experts in death by crucifixion. Any Roman soldier that allowed a criminal to escape would have received that penalty. Man, the Roman soldiers' lives were at stake with whether or not Jesus was dead. He was pierced in the side to confirm his death. When you think about the physical damage to his body, the nails through his hands and his feet, his back just totally filleted, the crown of thorns on his head, Jesus was so weak that somebody else had to carry the cross for him. There's no chance that you take a person who'd been abused the way Jesus had and crucified and thought dead and lay him on a stone in a tomb and roll a stone over it and he's going to lay there for three days with no food, no water, no help and just revive? No. Now, Jesus died, but he rose from the dead. It's no wonder that Christianity started... In Jerusalem, that was the place where, where everything exploded. And to this day, people gather to celebrate the resurrection. This is a picture of a, a dawn in, in, the, in Jerusalem. And this today, uh, the Sanders sent me this picture this morning. This is people gathering in New Mexico to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. To this day, everywhere, Christians are celebrating and Christianity is the largest religion. And we know that it's not everybody who claims Christ that knows Christ, but Jesus impacted history. Our our calendars are marked by the birth of Jesus. That didn't happen because it's not true. As we consider the resurrection, let's consider the second thing. The resurrection is life-changing. When you think about this, if you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 24, verse 9. We'll come back to John 21 in a moment. As we read this, we're going to continue where Val left off, reading from the book of Luke. And it says this, And returning to the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, 
and Jonah and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, so they've announced it to the disciples there in unbelief, and they're, they're in Galilee waiting, and it says, and they were talking about these things, and Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. You know, this is the interesting thing. When you read the account of the resurrections and the disciples' response, if they were fabricating this response, they would not tell the story this way. They wouldn't say they were scared. They didn't believe. Uh, We're going to go through the story and see the fact that they are saying, we doubted, we didn't believe, we doubted. Nobody says that who's trying to lie to somebody. Nobody would admit that they're looking Jesus in the face and not believing if they're trying to pass off a story. That would be embarrassing. We read this story and we say, how could you not believe? You're looking at him. Didn't he tell you this was going to happen? Like we look at the story and go, oh, that's crazy. Look at this. It says, they thought they saw a spirit and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why why do doubts arise in your heart? Man, if you were fabricating a story, you would not include that statement. Look at John 27. We looked at this with Lazarus as Jesus is going down to this Jewish area where the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. And Thomas stands up. He gets, he gets a bad rap because of what happens here in verse uh, 27 of John 21. Um, he gets a bad rap, but Thomas just says, hey, Jesus is going down there. Let's all go with him. Let's all go die with him. Thomas is so convinced and he puts his faith in Jesus. And at Jesus' crucifixion, Thomas and all of the disciples are crushed. It says in verse 24, Now when Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples told him and say, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless... I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my side into his hand. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas responded the way every person would respond when they see Jesus, my Lord and my God. Uh, Thomas didn't believe. When he heard from the women, when he heard from the other disciples, he didn't believe because he had already trusted Jesus and his faith, his faith was shattered. And Jesus shows up and says, okay, touch me, feel me, I'm real. Look at verse 39 of Luke 24. This is Jesus explaining this to the disciples. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. (laughs) Look at verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, He said to them, have you anything here to eat? 
And they gave him a a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is eating. He is reminding them of the things that, that he taught them. And they're like, Okay, I've touched it, and I see it, but they're still doubting this can't believe I I can't believe this I've seen him crucified I I saw him die this can't be real and I think that the next words are pretty powerful look at verse 45 then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You know, those disciples, they believed because God opened their mind. And I just want to say that if you are here today and you believe it's because God worked in your heart. Yes, these things are true. Yes, the evidence is there. Yes, it is compelling. But when God softens your heart and enables you to believe, your heart is opened and you believe and your life will be changed. If you're here today, how you respond to the resurrection is the most important thing in your life. It is more significant than anything else. And if you struggle to believe, ask God to open your heart. Allow that to be your prayer. Pray, God, if this is true, show me. Lord, if I know it's true, the interesting thing for me, I grew up in church. I always knew this was true. And even though I knew it was true, I was not willing to trust Christ with my life. This may not be an intellectual issue for you. Uh, A person may be here and not be struggling. Yeah, I know it's true, and I know it happened. I'm not willing to trust God with my life. If it's a lack of ability to believe, ask God to open your heart. He'll do that like he did for the disciples. If it's a lack of willingness to follow Jesus, ask God to change that in you. God will do that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, for the scriptures say, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You know, I want to consider this, and we'll end here. The resurrection will have immediate and eternal significance in your life. One of the things that we find is that Jesus, who died to provide our salvation, will also be the judge When a person on this life hardens their heart and says, Jesus, you're the God of the universe. You made me. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you, but I refuse to believe that. I refuse to follow you. That has results in this life. It impacts how we live. It impacts how we face challenges and struggles. It it impacts what we invest our time and our life in. And so it does impact this life, but it doesn't just impact this life. It impacts our eternity. Often we hear about incredible tragedies. 
uh, where massive numbers of people die. We think about wars and all the people dying in wars, and we just think, man, what a tragedy that that happened, and all these lives that are lost. Did you know that thousands of people die in the United States every day? People get up in the morning, and they head off to work. They get in a car accident on the freeway. They never come home. There's people, a good friend of mine went to church on Sunday morning and went home. He's relatively young, a little bit older than me, but relatively young. Goes home, sits down in his living room, unexpectedly dies, on his, dies in his living room couch. There are people who die every day. Here's the thing we know about God's goodness. God's goodness is there. The offer of salvation is available as long as we live. But the moment our life comes to an end, those chances are gone. Our fate is sealed. What is so significant is how we respond to the resurrection of Jesus will impact our eternity. And that's why Christians go to church because they want to learn how to live in light of this. That is why Christians bring people they care about to church, because this matters more than anything else in life. I want to just read this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died on the cross to pay a price that you cannot pay. Uh, The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gives us incredible spiritual riches from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, that's the purpose of the church is to learn how to live in light of the resurrection. That's why believers come to church. That's why we do the things that we do. Everything is related to celebrating and rejoicing and being joyful. Earlier in Colossians, it talks about the fact that we have spiritual wisdom, we have understanding, we learn how to walk in a manner worthy of God, we increase in the knowledge of God, we have God's strength and power given to us in our life, we have endurance, we have patience, we have joy, we're constantly thanking God who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. That's what church is. That's what we do is we come here and we come to know Jesus and then we learn to live in light of who Jesus is. Instead of living our lives in foolishness and rebellion against God, we live our lives in submission following the God who saved us, who created us, who loves us. And then we spend our life worshiping. You know, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You know, we're not saved so that God can worship us. We are saved so that we can worship him. And that's the invitation. That is the significance of the resurrection. It is amazing, and it impacts every part of life. We know that we serve a good God. For a believer, any pain or sorrow or tragedy or difficulty that happens in your life, we know will turn out for good. As a person who doesn't know the Lord, anything good in your life will result in evil. And so there is no better way to live. And the Apostle Paul, when he preached about the resurrection, this is what he said in Acts chapter 17. He says, Now when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked. Others said, Ah, I'll hear about this again. So Paul went out from their midst. And it ends with this, though. It says, But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Aparagite, and a a woman named um, Demarius, and others with them. See, that's the thing. We can mock. We can say to ourselves, oh, I'll make a decision later, but who knows if we'll have later. Or we can do the right thing, and that is the best thing, and that is to believe. That's our prayer. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your kindness. Lord, I thank you for your resurrection that you proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who he said he is. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would put our faith in you, that we would trust you. Lord, it's, you've given us the intellectual ability. Uh, it's not a matter of understanding. You've given us earthly and human evidence. God, there's plenty there to believe. And yet, Lord, we know that in our hearts we can be sinful. We can suppress truth. We can reject things and go our own way. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would fall on our face, that we would worship you like the women did, like the disciples did, like Thomas did, like so many do. God, that we would worship you, that we would live in light of your goodness according to your wisdom that we would experience all the blessings that you intend for us. God, we thank you that we can celebrate the resurrection in your name. Amen.